Welcome to part three of our series, Jesus, Magic, and Mojo. Preston kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. I intended to be with you last week, but became sick and had to miss. So Preston brought part two as well. Let's give Preston, a.k.a. Sunshine, if you don't know, that's his nickname. Give him a big hand. (laughs) He did a great job. Hey, this series is about how to get your mojo back if you've lost it. Now, what is mojo? Well, in this context, it means an attractive quality that helps you be successful. If a person has mojo, it means he or she has charisma, attractiveness, an ability to win the hearts of people. It's almost a a charm or a spell, an invisible quality causing people to be around you. They want to be around you. They want to follow you. They even want to be like you. If a person has mojo and then they lose it, it's, it's concerning because whatever quality that caused people to be attracted to you is no longer present. And if you've lost it, you've, you've soiled it, you've broken it, it's going to affect your life. And most of the time, uh, a person, you know, they, they want to fix it, they want to find it, they want to get their mojo back, but a lot of people have no idea how to do it. Now, in the business world, Mojo equals success, money, expansion, career advancement, team building, breaking records, meeting goals. In fact, entire books have been written about how to get your mojo back. I've got a book in my office. It's literally entitled that. And if you lose it, how do you find it? How do you get it back? Lectures at leadership conferences teach you how to recognize it when it's gone and what to do to recover it. Mojo is a big deal. When a person has mojo, success, joy, fun, accomplishment, it's easy. It it flows naturally. It appears as if something magical is happening. When you watch an incredibly gifted sports figure, they make the sport look magical. They, They throw the ball up in the air and it just mysteriously goes through the hoop. Or they swing at the little white ball and it miraculously rolls across the green and drops in the hole. But we know it isn't magic. In fact, if you've watched these sports figures, it's not magic. It's, it's thousands of hours of practice, missed baskets, failed putts. I mean, the pros make, look, make the game look magical because they are just that good. They got mojo. They got charm. They got charisma. They got appeal. They got skills. They got talents. They got, you know, a th- uh, athleticism. Now, what does mojo have to do with the church? What does it have to do with Jesus? Because I know some of you are thinking that. Say, where are we going here? In many ways, the church at large, I'm talking about the church, big C, around the world, goes through seasons where it has mojo. It attracts people. It has charm. Auditoriums are full. Lives are impacted. Conferences are sold out. People are inviting friends, giving is up, serving is overflowing, growing is just natural. And the church goes through seasons where it loses its mojo. All those things I mentioned are challenging. Right now, in 2022, the church at large has lost a lot of its mojo, its appeal, its attraction, its charm. 
not because its mission is lame. It has the greatest, most inspiring, most life-transforming mission in the world. Not because there are too many hypocrites in the church. Because you can't find more hypocrites gathered in a single place than at a political rally. Yet we support politics like it's our only hope and politicians like they are our saviors. Not because so many people have been wounded. Folks, no other institution wounds and traumatizes more people than families and we still love and support and eat turkey with our families on Thanksgiving. The church has lost its mojo because the people making up individual local churches have lost their mojo. That's you and me. In other words, many of us have lost our passion for the mission of the church, which is to carry grace to every person on the planet regardless of who they are, regardless of where they are. We have forfeited our allegiance to the leader of the church, Jesus. We have refused to commit and love and serve his body, the other members of the local church. And because this is true, the local church has lost its attraction, its charm, its appeal to those outside the church. And that's the bad news. Here's the good news. You and I can recover our mojo. Churches can get the attraction back, the charm back, the magic back. It is not lost forever. We can retrace our steps, find where we left it, and pick it back up. Look at this verse from Revelation 2. Write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. I also know that you don't put up with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles but are not, and you have found them to be liars. You have shown endurance and put up with a lot for my namesake, and you haven't gotten tired. But I have this against you. You have let go of the love you had at first. You lost it. You left it. So remember the high point from which you have fallen. Change your hearts and lives and do the things you did at first. So how do we recover our mojo? Let me just give it to you up front, then we're going to unpack some of this. You return to your love and you redo the things you did at first. You return to your love and you redo the things you did at first. Now, I'm going to be as transparent and as honest and as revealing as I possibly can be in this message today. Why are we talking about mojo? Why? Because there is a lack, when there is a lack, I should say, of mojo, tensions form between vision and reality. Now, you're going to have to think with me this morning, okay? When mojo's gone... When the attractiveness is gone, when the appeal is gone, when the joy is gone, when the fun is gone, when the passion is gone, when we've left our first love, 
when we refuse to do the things that we did at first, when we just get into a rut, when we just spin, when the gears are stripped, when we're just going through the motions, whenever we lose our mojo, tension forms between vision and reality. Maybe, maybe, this, maybe this will help. You drive by a car lot and you see a new truck. I mean, this truck is loaded and you can see yourself driving in this truck. I mean, you imagine yourself sitting comfortably in the leather seats, music is playing, you're driving around town causing everybody else to envy. So you flip around and you pull into the car lot, you find the exact truck you saw as you were driving down the road. You get out of your junky car, you walk up to it, you look at the price tag, $100,000. You remember your pay stub, your heart sinks, that is tension between vision and reality. Make sense? A friend tells you about a company that's hiring, excellent salary, benefits, wonderful environment. You think, man, I can see myself working there. You think about all the stuff that you could do if you only had a little bit more money. You imagine building a new deck. You get a, a new pool in your backyard. Uh, you can send your kids to college without them having to borrow a whole lot of money. And then you realize that you don't have the educational requirements, you don't have the experience, you have no hope of landing this job anytime soon. Tension between vision and reality. Make sense? Right now, there is some tension between vision and reality here at Forest Park. Can I, can I give you a little bit of our tension that exists between our vision and reality. This is my heart to yours. I, I spend some time with Preston. Preston's actually working in our, our tech booth. He's our student pastor. Preached the last few weeks. I spend time with him. I listen to his heart. You know what he dreams about? You know what he wants to happen here at Forest Park? He wants your student, your student, your teenager, to form a genuine relationship with Jesus. Something real, something solid, not emotional, not, not, not something that just will last a little while through middle school or high school and have some fun and games and then go off to college and never think about Jesus again, never think about the church again, never think about his or her spiritual life again. No, no, no. He wants to build something within your student that will last through middle school, high school, and into college. A real relationship that will carry your teenager through young adult years, through marriage, and watch them trust God through the most difficult and complicated seasons of of life. That is his vision. Allison Chandler, she's been volunteering in our, our kids' department for years, years. She gives and gives and gives year after year after year. You know what she wants? A trophy. No. An applause. No. A plaque. No. A nice dinner out. Probably. But that's not, that's not her goal. You know what she wants? She wants your kids to feel loved and cared for. She wants every child, no matter what, to know they belong, that they are beautiful, that they matter not only to God, but to her and to other adults in this church. 
She wants a safe and clean and fun environment weekend after weekend for your baby, for your toddler, for your neighbor's baby and toddler, for your brother or your sister's baby and toddler and preschooler and third grader. That is her vision. You know what Carla Beth wants? A band that loves God and uses their talents and their art to worship and lead you into genuine worship, not entertain you, not just have fun, not, not just good music, but real, authentic, transparent, and passionate worship. That's what she wants. That's her vision. You know what Josh wants? To provide the absolute best online experience for you and your family, to reach people who can't or don't want to come to a church building right now, to capture every moment through media and proclaim it through video and graphics and social media platforms. That's Josh's vision. I can go on and on about our volunteer leaders, Lisa with Outreach and Finances, Dakota with Groups, Jason with First Impressions. All of them work beyond what they get paid, and many of them work with absolutely no pay. And they deal with kids and music and complaints and volunteer issues and low budgets, and they do it with an attitude that surprises me over and over and over again. And you know what Lana and I have always wanted? For 21 years, we've stood here. And we have wanted nothing but a place where broken and hurting and confused and unique but beautiful people can connect with one another, our love to the difficulties of life, and learn what it means to follow Jesus together. Pretty simple. But that's our vision you know what? Here's what you want, or you wouldn't be here. You want the same thing. You do. You want a church with leaders who care about people, with a band that leads people into worship, a student pastor that loves teenagers, a kid venture director that impacts every single kid who walks through our doors, a place where you can connect in groups, some, some place where you pull into the parking lot and people smile at you and greet you after your terrible week. A place where you can bring a friend that's never been to church or hadn't been to church in 20 years and someone greets you at a door and welcomes you and smiles at you and they come in and they sit down and they, they, they hear music that inspires them and a message that changes their life. That's what you want. That's your vision. And being as transparent as I know how to be, there are times when the vision, the tension I should say, between our vision and our reality here at Forest Park is painfully tight. Sometimes the gap between what's in our hearts and what we can do with our budget or with our volunteer bench is wide, that gap. So what inspired this series is me sitting back and asking and answering, so how do we get our mojo back? How do we get that attractive quality back, that passion back, that, inspire, that inspiration back? How do we shrink the gap? How do we release some of that tension? 
How do we see the vision that's in our hearts become reality? How do we see Preston reach more students, Allison to have enough volunteers to love our kids, Josh to have the team members and the budget to reach an online audience more efficiently, Carla Beth to have the musicians and the vocalists, Dakota to have group leaders, Jason to have first impression team members, on and on and on. How does it get done? How does the mojo return? The same way it always does. We do what we can. God gets involved. Miracles happen. We do what we can. God gets involved. Miracles happen. Now, before we go any further, when it comes to this church, now you might be visiting from North Dakota, I don't know, or California, God help you getting ready to fall off into the ocean, right? When it comes here to this church, worst part, I'm talking to you. Don't, don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at the person in front of you or beside you. Just, just you and me right now, okay? Are you doing what you can with what you have? I'm talking about you. Are you doing what you can with what you have. Folks, listen to me, because I, I know how church people think. I'm not guilt-tripping you. I'm not asking you, are you giving till it hurts? I'm not asking you to go beyond your ability. I'm not asking you to suffer. I'm not asking you to sacrifice. None of that. I'm simply asking you to be honest. Are you doing what you can with what you have? Because I'll tell you what I see. I see a few people doing a whole lot of things. That's what I see. Volunteers who go way beyond average. People who give and give, and then when there's a need, you know what they do? They give. People who serve on multiple teams, people who serve their rotation and then jump in to serve somebody else's rotation. And I suspect there are about 50 or 75 people here today who could, but who aren't. You see, you see this, this is so important. We're actually attempting to accomplish something here at FBC. See, I don't, I don't get up on Sunday mornings and come here. Our band does not show up here at seven-ish. Our, our team members do not show up. Our online people do not get here and set up cameras and work with the lobby. Lisa and the team doesn't get out here and get coffee already and all that because this is a game. We, we, we don't do this because this is just something, because on Sundays we, we literally would just be, you know, laying around the house doing nothing. So we decide, hey, let's go over to that building and let's try to engage some time because we have so much time. We have nothing else to do. That, that's not what happens here. This is, this is not something we just do on weekends because there is nothing else to do. We're actually attempting to accomplish something here that we believe, and you may think we're crazy, but we actually believe that it will go on into eternity. See? Now, it might be for you, but it's not for us. And here's the good news. If enough of us get involved and do what we can with what we have, miracles will happen that we've never seen before. And this has always been God's plan. 
This is the way it's always worked. This is not a new thing. This is the way it's always worked. God partners with people to bring about miracles. It's always like that. God partners with people to bring about miracles. God always puts in front of us more than we think we can handle to provide an opportunity for our faith to be stretched It's always been like that. So let me ask you a personal question, okay? We're going to get to the scripture in just a minute. I don't believe any of this unless you read it out of the Bible, okay? Let me ask you this. Right now, when it comes to the local church, where's your faith being stretched? Where is your faith being stretched? Now, folks, I could take you through several stories in scripture to illustrate this point. Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, Gideon and his small army, uh, David and Goliath, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, on and on. I could give you all kinds of different stories to illustrate what I'm talking about. But today, I want to return to a familiar passage, one I've covered several times, and I chose it because there's a few details here that speak exactly to where we are. And the story is found in Matthew 14, and it is the miracle of the bread and fish. Now, I'm not going to walk through all the details of this story. We've done so several times. Lana brought a great message from this story a few months ago. And then I walked through some of the, the details of it again in a series we did called Leftovers. So I'm not going to go through all the details of this story again. But here's the thing. I was sitting over here when Lana was speaking a few months ago, and a thought occurred to me while she was going through this story. And I want to give you just enough to set the story up and then tell you the thought that occurred to me while she was teaching. So just kind of set the scene in your mind. Thousands of people are following Jesus everywhere he goes. I mean, they're hanging on to every word. They're so enthralled with what he's saying, they forget to eat. There were no Popeyes, no cookout, no Panera, no no DoorDash. Nobody could call and get Uber, you know, eats. They were hungry. If a person didn't bring a lunch, they were out of luck. Either somebody had to share their lunch or you waited until you got home. And I can imagine, with all the walking and the hot climate, these people were famished. They had been with Jesus all day in a hot, arid environment. And most of you know the story. The disciples recommend to Jesus that he send the people home. Man, Jesus, they've been with you all day. They're tired, they're hungry. You should send these people home so they can get some food on the way home. If you don't hurry up, the restaurants are going to close. You need to get them out of here so they can go get something to eat before it gets too late. And instead, he says this famous line to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Disciples had no idea how in the world this was going to work. They didn't bring their own lunch, yet alone enough lunch for all these people. The only thing they had was the lunch from one boy, five loaves of bread, Two fish. And here's where the story gets really good. Jesus instructs the disciples to bring the food to him. He then asks the people to sit down. He prays over the food. He breaks it. He returns it to the disciples and instructs them to start passing it out. And they do. And somewhere in the middle of reaching into the little bag and pulling out the bread, a miracle happens. And every single time they reach into the bag and pull out bread, it's there. Every time they reach in the bag to pull out a fish, it's there. And they feed all 5,000 of the men plus the women and children. After everybody eats, they pick up enough leftovers and they have 12 baskets full of food. I love this story. But I'm going to take it to a different level. 
Last year when Lana was speaking and teaching through the story, she actually brought up bread and fish on stage. She did a wonderful job. Something occurred to me, and I had never seen this before. It's so simple. Maybe many of you have seen it many times, and it's no big deal to you. But it was simple and profound to me at the same time. Let's, let's go back to the picture of the people, okay? Picture this massive crowd of people in your mind, thousands of people. They are spread out. They're sitting on grassy areas and sandy areas. The babies are crying. People are talking. And the message messages, I should say, travel from the front of the crowd to the back of the crowd, right? You've got people down front, you've got people in the middle, you've got people all the way in the back. And you've played the telephone game before where you tell one person something and then you turn to them and ask them to tell somebody else and then they turn to somebody else, etc. And by the time it gets to the, you know, the end of the line, the message is a little different than it was when it first started because everybody puts a little spin to it. So I imagine when Jesus instructs the people up front to sit down and the wave of sitting down begins from the front and everybody begins to sit down from the front all the way to the back and up front, Jesus says to the crowd something like this, hey, everybody, sit down, make yourself comfortable and wait quietly and you're gonna see what God is going to do. But by the time it gets to the back, the only instruction they hear from other people is, Jesus says, sit down and shut up or you're gonna starve right? The people in the back are like, gee, you know, Jesus talks about love and patience. And then we do one thing and he doesn't like it. Tells us to sit down and shut up. That's how churches operate, you know, right? You say one thing and by the time it gets to the masses, it's completely different than you actually said. Anyway, while Lana was speaking, here's what occurred to me. As the miracle was taking place, the bread and fish being multiplied, People eating until their stomachs were full and their hearts were content. Watch this. The people in the back had no idea what was going on up front. They were too far away from the action. They couldn't see what was happening. All they knew is after a few minutes of sitting in the sun, hungry, tired and a little frustrated, someone hands them a piece of bread and fish. They shrug their shoulders and they eat. They have no idea that down front a miracle happened. They're just the beneficiaries of a miracle. They're too far away from the action to even know what happened. It takes a little while for messages to get through the crowd. It takes a little while for people to say, you know what happened? What? You know what happened? What? You know what happened? What? They had no idea that a miracle was taking place at that very moment. All they know is food is available. I'm hungry. I'm eating. You see, present that day were four different groups of people. The first group of people sitting in that crowd were probably the largest number and that was the people that had no idea what's happening. Somebody handed them bread and fish, they ate. They probably thought to themselves, man, isn't this nice? People brought more bread and fish than they needed, and they passed it out to me, and I got a chance to eat. How cool is that? That's such a nice thing. They were in the back. They just ate, and you know what? When they got it, 
there was nobody else to pass the bread and fish to. They fed nobody. They just consumed. There was another group of people a little closer to the front. They were the people who had some idea of what's happening. They could see far enough down toward the front to go, okay, there's something going on down there. I don't know what it is, but I see some disciples pretty excited, and I see some other people excited. Something must be going on, and all of a sudden, they receive some bread and fish, and they eat, and then they turn around, and there's a group of people behind them, so they feed a few people. There's another group, a little closer to the front. These are the people who have a clear idea of what's happening. They look down and go, okay, something amazing is going on. I can see Jesus. He looks like he's praying. Looks like he's holding up the bread and fish. He's breaking it. He's handing it out to the disciples. And I just saw one little boy give some bread and fish. Man, something must be really amazing going on. They were close enough to the action to figure it out. They ate and turned around, and there were a few thousand people behind them, and they fed a lot more people. But there was one other group present. Those people were at the very front. They made what's happening happen. Up front and in the action. They were close enough to actually watch Jesus take the bread and break it, take the fish and pray over it, and they watched the miracle happen. They not only watched it, they participated in it because when Jesus said, do we not have any bread and fish, they actually looked around and started asking other people, hey, do you have any bread and fish? And they helped to find the boy that had the bread and fish. They participated in the miracle. Do you see where I'm going? Uh-uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Folks, I've served as a pastor for nearly 30 years. I've led people for three decades, and the same four groups of people are present in every single church. Gathered in this room right now, watching online, spread across the city, there are people who have no idea what's going on at Forest Park. They just benefit. They have no idea. From the band to the student ministry to the messages, the counseling, the encouragement, they, they benefit from all of it. They benefit, they just come in, sit down, listen to the message, have no idea how many hours is put into it, no idea. They just, hey, I need some counsel, they get free counsel. Hey, I need this, I need that. Okay, hey, I come in every now and then, there's a church available for me. I have no idea who does what, I don't know. Sometimes when I'm not even here, I turn on my computer, what do you know, it's just amazing. There's, there's the actual video, I can watch the whole service live. I mean, it's just, I don't know how it happens, I don't know, I just benefit from Scott preaching online, somebody got a camera, somebody put it up, somebody does something, I don't know how it happens, but hey, I'm going to enjoy the bread and fish as it comes my way. You don't turn around and feed anybody else because you're in the back. And then there's others who have a little idea of what's going on. Not a lot. They're a little closer to the action. They know that it doesn't just happen. They know that some people volunteer, some people give, some people serve, but you're kind of still a distance away from the action, and you still benefit. And every now and then, when the big events come around, the conference, Christmas, Easter, something big, you help feed a few people too. 
Then there's others who have a clear idea of what's going on. I mean, you're close enough to feel the heat of faithful volunteers. You see generous people. You watch passionate worship. You, you, you benefit from the clear teaching and the radical inclusion. You even participate every now and then, and you turn around and you help other people eat. But then there, there are a few of you, and you're different. You're different. You're always in the action. In fact, you're the reason the whole thing happens to begin with. You make it happen. You show up. You show up early. You say, where can I serve? What can I do? Here's my bread and fish. Take it. I don't want to be in the back. I don't want to be in the middle. I want to be down front where the action is. And you are involved over and over and over. You make the miracle happen because of your giving and your serving and your inviting and your attending and your loving and your including. Lots and lots of people eat. The people in the back, not you folks. This is all figuratively speaking. Some are like, I knew I shouldn't have sat in the back today. I knew I shouldn't have sat in the back today. The people in the back, figuratively speaking, are the beneficiaries, the receivers of the miracle. The people up front, they're the cause of the miracle, the miracle makers. Huge question that you have to wrestle with and I have to wrestle with. Which group is your group? Where are you, my friend? Where are you? Do, you? do you realize Jesus could have turned stones into bread and fed the crowds that day? You think he needed the disciples? Let me ask you a question. I want you to think this with me, okay? Do you think he needed the little boy to give the bread and fish? Whenever the crowd was hungry and the disciples said, hey, Jesus, you need to send these people home. They're hungry. They're famished. They have nothing to eat. Jesus could have said, hey, let me, let me show you guys something, okay? Have everybody sit down. He could have then taken a stone, picked it up, prayed over the stone, and the stone could have become bread. He could have told the disciples, hey, the lake's right over there. Just go over the lake and some fish will just jump right into a pouch. Just bring them over here and we'll just, the fish will just come from everywhere. He could have done all of that. But he didn't. He partnered with the little boy who donated his lunch. He partnered with his disciples to pass out the bread and fish. He took what was given to him. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to the hungry crowd through his disciples. He used the little boy's lunch and turned it into a miracle. Listen to me very carefully. It happens the exact same way today. It's not magic. You see, when something's magic, the expectation is sit back and watch. The magician does it all. The crowd is just wowed. That is not the way of God's kingdom. God works through mojo, not magic. He works through you getting excited and me getting excited, you giving and me giving, you saying here I am, me saying here I am, you saying here's the bread and fish that I have, me saying here's the bread and fish that I have, you saying here's my Saturday morning, let's go out and love thy city. 
You saying, here's my offering. You saying, I'm in the band. You saying, hey, I want to run a camera. You saying, hey, let's open up a group. You saying, hey, I'll stand at the door and welcome people. You saying, hey, let's go to Ecuador. Let's go to Africa. You saying, God doesn't need you. He could do anything he wants. He partners with you. I read about Mojo the other day. Three characteristics of Mojo. I found this really good. Mojo is purposeful, powerful, positive. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Just give it to you quick. As we who make up Forest Park, when we are purposeful in our actions, when we are powerful in our giving, when we are positive in our attitudes, when we are purposeful in our serving, powerful in our praying, positive with our stories, when we are purposeful in our learning, powerful in our worship, positive in our social media posts, on and on and on. You know what's generated? Mojo. You know what it is? It's an attractive, charismatic, and exciting quality, causing people to want to be around you or the church or the business. It ignites vision and passion in other people and generates enough energy to set off momentum. That's what happens. May I be direct with you? Sitting in front of me right now, listening online right now, there are future tech people there are future group facilitators. There are future KidVenture volunteers. There are future financial supporters. There are future musicians, future singers, future movers and shakers for outreach. But you're either sitting in the back and have no idea what's going on, or you're sitting up front and you're holding on to your lunch, scared that if you give it up, there won't be enough for you. Here's the question, why? Why? We have the greatest story, the greatest vision, the greatest good news. We serve the greatest king. We're part of the only thing that's gonna outlast everything else, the church, because not even the gates of hell will ever be able to stop it. You are saved and washed and cleansed and renewed. Mercy is new for you every single morning. There's nothing you've ever done that hasn't been washed away. Nothing you will ever do that is greater than his grace and mercy. Why in the world would you not say, here's my little bread and fish? Why? I want to show you something Jesus says in the story, and we're going to pray, we're going to go. And this makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Watch this. Matthew 14. That evening, his disciples came and said to him, this is an isolated place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, there's no need to send them away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here except five loaves of bread and two fish. And he said, what? Say it with me out loud. Underline it. Bring them here to me. That, my friend, is the key to the miracle. What remains in your hands feeds a few. 
what is placed in the hands of Jesus feeds multitudes. Go ahead and keep your money. Buy that new car. See where it is in about 20 years. Take your money and invest it in a soul, a life, a student, a kid, outreach, and watch what happens in 20 years. Go ahead and take your time and and dump it in more fishing. Go ahead and enjoy that one morning. Enjoy that one afternoon. Hey, we all need it. We all get it. Buy the car. Take, and nobody's saying, give it all. Nobody's saying, I'm just saying, think about how you invest. Keep it, you feed a few. Give it, you feed multitudes. So why are we hanging on? Do you have any idea what will happen if about 20 new families begin giving faithfully week after week after week? Do you have any idea what would happen if 20 new people joined First Impressions? Do you have any idea what would happen if 20 new people joined Kid Venture and said, I'll volunteer? Do you have any idea if 20 new people did this or 20 new people? You don't have any idea what would happen? No, you don't and I don't. Because he always does more than we can ever imagine or even comprehend. If you would have said to the disciples that day, do you have any idea what Jesus is going to do when you give him the five loaves and two fish? They would have said, no. All I know is he said, give it to them. So I did. And he blew their minds. You don't have any idea, and I don't have any idea. But I will tell you this. It'll be more than any of us could ever imagine. That day blew the mind of the disciples. They were suggesting sending people home. And Jesus turned it into a miracle that we're talking about 2,000 years later. Which group are you in? Are you willing to at least take one step toward the front? One step toward where the action is. Only you can make that decision. Let's pray. Father, the church has got the most incredible vision, the most incredible message that has ever hit this planet. No matter where a person is, no matter what they've done, no matter what's going on in their life, there is mercy and hope and grace and forgiveness and compassion, healing and wholeness available. Your love is greater than any bondage. Your mercy is greater than any sin. There is no darkness your light will not illuminate. There is no bondage you cannot break. There is nothing that we've ever done or will ever do that will cause you to walk away from us. The message is transforming. The message is incredible. And you've placed that message at the center of the only thing that will outlast every government, every country, every philosophy, every idea, and that is the church. And nothing will close it down. But Father, you need us to partner, us to give the bread and fish and to watch you do miracles. Father, we have no idea what's in store if we will only say, I'm tired of sitting in the back, I'm tired of sitting just a little bit down front, I'm ready to get into the action and hand to you the bread and fish and watch you do incredible things. And we cannot wait to see you do it. 
Thank you for allowing us to be a part. Inspire us, challenge us, push us, open our hearts, open our minds, and cause us to become people filled with your presence and filled with your spirit and taking the greatest message to the ends of the earth. We ask these things in the name of the one who multiplied the bread and fish and fed the thousands of people that afternoon. The name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, guys. Great to see you.